folks, this is Jason, the producer. Just letting you know we were off last month, but fortunately we were able to go and record the uh, weeks that you guys missed. Uh, we were able to go back and get the uh, recording from November 10th, which was from Jason, uh, November 17th, which was from Jess, and then November 24th, which was also Jason. Please enjoy. Welcome to Word from the Mountaintop, a weekly inspirational podcast brought to you from the Mountain Luther Parish. Today's Word of the Lord will be shared by Pastor Jason or Pastor Jess Felici. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 20th chapter. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless. Then the second and third married her. And so in the same way, all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore, because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God, not of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all of them are alive. This is the gospel of our Lord. Let us pray. Give us resurrection eyes, Lord, to see our lives in this world. Give us resurrection eyes to see our call beyond the laws that we create. And remind us of your promises. Give us resurrection eyes to see your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. There's certainly an age when we feel invincible. For some, maybe it's our high school years or our early 20s when we take greater risks. We make some terrible decisions. And most of us are lucky enough to escape. But by the time we reach our 30s or our 40s or beyond, most people settle into the reality that death will find all of us. It's as though at some point in our lives there's a seismic shift, right? And suddenly we find that death has invaded our lives. Maybe it's a friend passing away, a parent dying. It helps us to realize that none of us gets out of this thing called life alive. Now what an opening, right? Right after All Saints Sunday. Good morning. Welcome to church. We're all going to die. But, you know, if you look at the gospel text for today, you see that that's really the heart of what Jesus is trying to teach us. The Sadducees, the actors in today's gospel text, corner Jesus with a question that seems to be about the law. 
And it centers around this hypothetical that they bring to him. If a man's brother dies, leaving no children, then the brother will marry the widow and raise up children for his brother, right? And on and on and on. Now, this might seem like a strange uh, hypothetical. Now, the Sadducees, they're a uh, group of Jewish people, um, and they're much like the Pharisees, but, you know, you might remember this from Sunday school, but if you don't, the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection, and you can remember that because they're sad, you see. Ah, there you go. Okay. You might not remember anything else from today, but you'll remember that. Uh, now, this hypothetical actually is in accordance with a specific law that they followed. This was the Leverite law, and it secured the eternal lineage of a man who died childless. You see, when one doesn't believe in the resurrection, like the Sadducees, you have to make plans of how you're going to secure God's promise of eternal life. And so from the perspective of the Sadducees, eternal life was acquired not by a resurrection of the dead, but by securing a long line of family to follow your time on earth and keep your family name alive. This was the point to life or how you continued on into eternity. But this absurd law and the hypothetical here led to this one poor woman having to marry seven men, all from the same family, seven brothers. And after all of this, the Sadducees asked Jesus, well, in the resurrection, whose wife will this woman be? Now, that's where the trick in this trick question resides, right? Because the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. So what they're really asking Jesus is, in this supposed resurrection of yours, Whose wife would this woman be? They address Jesus with skepticism. That can't be lost here. And they also lay a trap for him. Not the first time, not the last time. Within the letter of the law, Jesus, they want to know whose wife would this woman be in the resurrection? They think they've got him. And Jesus says something they're not expecting. He says, that's easy. No one's. And he says, because with resurrection eyes, marriage and law and all these crazy ideas that you have about marriage are irrelevant. Because with resurrection eyes, we see that no one who is called a child of God will die. This is what he says. Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Now this is an interesting theological statement by Jesus. I've long noticed that I'm never asked to use this gospel text for a wedding. You know, other than the part in the service about till death do us part or until death parts us, other than that, we really try to kind of leave the death stuff out of the wedding ceremony. And I understand that. 
But this is an interesting thing that Jesus says about marriage. Marriage is for the living. It's for our time on earth. That's something to remember. But that's not really the heart of what Jesus is saying here. The heart of this lesson is not about marriage. The heart of this text is about resurrection. He says, indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. Children of the resurrection. Essentially, Jesus says that those who expend their energy in defining and planning every single detail of their life on this side of death miss the whole point of life. And by life, I mean the earthly, temporal life we have here and also life, eternal, everlasting life that we receive from God. Now think about it. With human beings, the way we kind of tend to operate is that death always seems to invade life. Now we make great strides to outwit death, right? There's always pills and diets and exercises claiming to prevent this or that ailment associated with aging, entire surgeons whose careers are dedicated to making people look like they're not really as close to death as they are. And when we live like this, as though death is something to escape, I have to wonder, do we really live like there's a resurrection? Or are we being a little like the Sadducees here? That the ultimate not living, like the ultimate definition of life, is that we are promised eternity with God. With human beings, death invades life with a diagnosis, with a phone call. But with Christ, life is always invading death. Hear that again. With Christ, life is always invading death death. Jump back into the gospel text with me. Take a look at how the Sadducees frame this story. If a man's brother dies. Now, I don't know if they did this on purpose, but if, right, like as, as though it was an option, right, this man might not be expected to die. Uh, newsflash Sadducees, right? Um, But remember, we each learned this lesson, and we have to accept this, that we are all on a journey that has an end, an earthly end, that everyone must and will die. This is the conundrum of life in Christ, right? Because at the same time, the children of God know that there is more to life than death. And Jesus reminds us once more with these words. He says, the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush. Everybody's flipping to Exodus, right? Read this story again, where he speaks of God as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Jesus says, Now he is God not of the dead, but of the living. For to him all of them are alive. Now, first hearing, Jesus' words sound almost absurd, right? Like we've read this story from Exodus how many times, and we've never said, I found the proof of the resurrection in Exodus, in the burning bush story. 
Nobody's ever said that to me. But think about it. By this time, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have been dead. Like long time dead. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Kind of dead. And in the face of death, God reminds us of those promises and says, I am. Not I was, not I had been. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am present and ongoing, continuing action. What matters is God holding us in life for all of eternity. Think back to just last Sunday. God is the God of the saints whom we remembered with a candle and the ringing of a bell and a prayer. God is our God and God is the God of the generations to come. Right? This is a continuous and ongoing relationship. When we act as though our life is only defined by our eventual death, then we begin to live for ourselves, ignoring the many ways that we can serve and honor God with our lives. When death consumes us, we begin to worry about our own wants and desires over the needs and the service of others. When fear or thoughts of death consume us, we miss the entire meaning of life. When we allow death to define the meaning of our lives, we fail, truly fail, to understand life at all. Because you see, the entire meaning of life is wrapped up in God's promise that we are God's children, that we are freed from the grips of death, and we are able to live and to love more boldly. Now, I had an example of this happen this past week. Maybe you saw it in the news just about a week ago today. Uh, and it was former President Jimmy Carter. Right? He was teaching his Sunday school class, which got everybody kind of, you know, is kind of surprised that he teaches a Sunday school class, right? But last Sunday at his Sunday school class, he sat up front and said into the microphone that he is at peace with the fact that he is going to die. He told his Sunday school class, he sat there and he said, I'm entirely comfortable with the fact that death is awaiting me. And my first response or reaction to that news story was, why is this news? Right? Why is this... A, a man stood in front of his Sunday school class and said he's entirely comfortable with the fact that he's going to die. Why is this front page news? Right? That's where we are in 2019. That someone who is comfortable with death is something to be surprised about or pondered uh, or talked about in the news. I, I know, he was a president, but think about it. Think about how much news that made. And it's a good reminder for us that when our life is not defined by our death, 
But our life is defined by the promise of our resurrection. We are reminded that God is in ultimate control of our lives. And that does bring the peace that I think he was getting at in that Sunday school lesson, right? That it's no longer about us, but it's about what God is doing in and through us. Better yet is how Paul puts it in his letter to the Romans. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ, right? Not even death itself can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So may we enter into this new week with resurrection eyes to see God's claim on our lives. And may we be wrapped in the encouragement and blessing of the resurrection, whether we receive good news this week or bad. May we always be reminded that our God is a God of the living, not of the dead. And may we be ever reminded that as children of God, life is always invading death. Claiming us, claiming each of us into the resurrection that we share with Jesus. Thanks be to God. This is the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 21st chapter. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, when will this be, and what will be the sign that it is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. For I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed, even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls." This is the gospel of our Lord. Will you pray with me? Give us strength, Lord. 
to face the trials and the troubles of this world. Give us words and courage to testify to your love and to your grace for all of your people, despite whatever it is that plagues us. Give us patience and endurance to share your love in every corner of the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Most of you know that I grew up in central Pennsylvania near Three Mile Island. I wasn't, I'm going to out myself as a baby here. I wasn't born yet in 1979, but I grew up with the stories of the meltdown of Three Mile Island looming overhead. I grew up not far from one of the sirens that would go off. Now we've heard the sirens for the rescue squad around here, right? They, they woo, woo, but nuclear sirens are a little bit different. They're loud, like the fire sirens that sound through town, but they go up and they don't come down. And you know if it stays up and it doesn't come back down for a good five minutes, you take the thyroid medication that is taped to your refrigerator and then you hit the road and get out of town. (laughs) I grew up with iodine pills taped to the refrigerator to protect your thyroid in case there was a meltdown at the nuclear reactor. The first car ride I took on my own after I got my license was to prove to my parents that I could drive to our cabin, which was our evacuation plan, should Three Mile Island have another meltdown. It's a little different, right, from from most childhood experiences elsewhere, but, but there are stories like this all around the world. Maybe not about nuclear meltdowns, but for people who grew up in Syria, there are stories about what your family's plan is if bombs are dropped in your hometown. For people, Christians who grew up in Egypt these days, there are stories and plans for your family if one of the young men in your life don't come home. You see, this, this idea of looming disaster feels far away from us in these hills, but it's not far from so many of our brothers and sisters around the world. How many of you have seen a bomb shelter? I've noticed when I moved here the first time, there really aren't a lot of bomb shelters in Pendleton County, are there? But you have to leave the county to find out what it is that the 1950s did to most of the country, especially in the more populated regions. But growing up, I was the manager for the wrestling team. And as, as the manager, I was in charge of keeping statistics. And you know, when one of the guys out on the mat got a bloody nose, I ran out there with the water bottle like I was gonna be of any help at all. And, and every day after school, we had wrestling practice. But you know where our wrestling practice was held? In the bomb shelter of our high school. Right, so there's, there's this whole world of, of people who before me had lived with this fear of something going wrong. And we don't even have to look far these days to find it. 
Hunting catalogs have been hitting our mailboxes now for months in preparation for hunting season. And, and as you page through all of the hundreds of dollars that you could blow on the new scope or, or the, brave, the greatest vest that you've ever used for archery season, there smack dab in the middle of our hunting catalogs, there's always the survival section, right? And in the survival section, it's as though they've never been to Appalachia because they should not waste these pages on the people of these hills about how to store enough food and drink in your, in your pantry or in your basement to, to last for five years. I guarantee you, I walk into most of your houses, you've got ball jars that are stocked up for much longer than that, right? But, but in our hunting catalogs are these, these advertisements for how to stockpile and be ready for the end of the world, just in case it comes and you can't get to the Dollar General to get whatever it is that you need. There is this underlying undercurrent of fear that pulses through our news and our politics. We're always hearing about wars, even if they're not on our own soil. And when war does come close, like when 9-11 struck or when Pearl Harbor was bombed, the world for us stops. And we start to panic and we wonder, is this it? Is this the end of everything as we know it? And it's that place, it's, it's that place of anxiety and, and unsettled that I want us to hear Jesus' words today. Because it's from that place that the people who are listening to Jesus say, when, when will this be? How will we know that this is about to take place? What will be the signs, Lord? And Jesus recognizes immediately what our instinct is, which is to obsess over every detail and wonder, is this it? Is this going to be it? Should I go to the basement and should I lock the door and should we hunker down with this 10 years worth of food I bought for $7,000 from the hunting catalog last winter? But Jesus tells us, and he tells us in this really important way. You see, all through the Bible, we read God saying, do not be afraid, right? There are hundreds of accounts, hundreds of verses in scripture that say, do not be afraid. But Jesus, even more pointedly, stops in the midst of this building anxiety and this building fear. And he looks at us, and in verse 9, he looks at us and he says, when you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified. Do not be terrified. How important for us to hear even now. You see, when the author of the Gospel of Luke finally put pen to papyrus, was writing down his recount of Jesus' life and Jesus' words, his, his stories of his experience of walking with Jesus. Do you know what had just taken place? The temple had fallen. When the Gospel of Luke is finally written down, the dust is still settling outside his house 
from the temple falling down, the center of Jerusalem, the center of Jewish worship, of religious life in Palestine, had crumbled. Now remember, this was not just their church, their synagogue. This was enormous stones, stones the size of your truck, piled on top of each other to make this massive worship space. And it had crumbled. So again, we find ourselves back in that place of fear and anxiety. And is this a sign? Is this the end of the world? Has it come? And Luke recalls as he's thinking back over his walking amongst Jesus' feet. And he says, Jesus said, do not be terrified. Now, so many of these stories can feel far away. There aren't bomb shelters in Pendleton County. We don't have a nuclear warning siren that goes off in any of our valleys, right? We... All right, so our pantries are stockpiled with food, but they're food from our garden. It's not stuff that we spent thousands of dollars on from a hunting catalog, right? But we live in fear. How many, and don't raise your hand, how many of us don't want to go to the doctor because we're afraid that she'll tell us something that we didn't want to hear? How many of us keep our distance from people that we know have suffered because it's easier to hope that things are getting better for them than it is to look into the face of their suffering. How many of us have this nagging feeling that that terrorizes us, that we we lay down at the end of the day and, and it's the last thing we think of and it swirls through our brain as we try to rest and go to sleep? We live in fear of so much. And Jesus is speaking to us in that, in that too. Do not be terrified. Oh, sure, you're going to suffer, he says. Don't, don't get too comfortable. There will be trials and there will be hardships. And some of you will die. But not a hair on your head will perish, he says. It's as though he says, your life is going to be hard. Do not think for one moment that following Jesus is going to be a breeze. You will be betrayed. You will lose people that you love. But I will not ever leave you, he says. And ultimately, even though you die, yet shall you live. By your endurance you will gain your souls. I don't know. I don't know what's bothering you today. I don't know what relationship is nagging you or or what fear is plaguing you. I don't know. But I promise you that you don't have to live in terror. I promise you that Jesus' covenant, Jesus' promise of eternal life is for you. That you can go with confidence and hope 
into the hopeless corners of your soul. And by your endurance, you will gain your soul. Gospel according to St. Luke, the 23rd chapter. When they came to the place that is called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As I said a little bit earlier, it's quite a busy Sunday. Uh, and as I was thinking about all the different things that we had to do today, uh, all the moving parts for worship, we have congregational meeting, it's Christ the King Sunday, we have the thank offering, the blessing of the blaze orange, all the other things that go along with that, getting everything together so that we have everything here. Just considering what the theme was that was running through all of these things that we were doing, all of these things that we have before us today. And as I was thinking about the lessons for today and thinking about what we are doing here at church and the various things that are happening, came up with a theme. Expect the unexpected. And I think that's a good theme for Christ the King Sunday. Um, and of course, I'm living out that theme because you might have expected me to be preaching from behind the pulpit, but today I'm down here in front of you, and normally I have my manuscript, which keeps me from preaching too long, but I decided to preach from notes, which is why you saw me look at my watch so that I don't go on too long, because we've got the congregational meeting and all the other things, the blessing of the blaze orange, the blessing of the blankets, all of these things that we have as a part of our worship service today. But here I am down front, so expect the unexpected. Now a little bit later, as we get together during our congregational meeting, we're going to be considering the parish budget for the year 2020. Now, oftentimes when I talk to a lot of people about budgets, they see a piece of paper with a lot of numbers on it, and they just kind of gloss over it and then move on. Or, you might be one of those people that looks at a budget, and you see numbers, and you look at the bottom number, and you think, well, that's get some anxiety, because that bottom number just seems to keep going up each and every year. 
So as we think about how we get together, and as we work on a budget and our commitments to our sister congregations, I invite you as we gather in this congregational meeting this afternoon to expect the unexpected. Thanksgiving is coming up. It's one of those interesting holidays. It didn't really start out as a church holiday, um, but it's since been adopted by the church. We have a thank offering every year on Sunday before or sometimes after Thanksgiving. Uh, and we usually take time on Thanksgiving uh, to give thanks to God for the many blessings in our life. Um, now, if you know, you're know you anything like me, when you envision what Thursday is going to look like, uh, oftentimes you open up Southern Living and you see that perfect Thanksgiving spread, right? And you think... I don't, I don't, where in the world did this come from, right? Where everything's sitting out on the table, there's perfectly lit candles in the middle, all the food is set out on the table just perfectly, and you think, you know, our Thanksgiving this year is going to be just like that, right? That's your expectation. But then, if your family is anything like my family, you have to expect the unexpected, right? Something gets burnt doesn't look exactly perfect. Or even worse, somebody made something for the meal and then forgot to get it out to the table. It either stays in the refrigerator or the oven, right? And you try to get everybody to sit down all at the same time so that we can say our blessings, and Emma gets her plate full and then just starts working on it, right? Or we haven't even said grace yet, and half the people are eating, right? And uh, we get together to say our blessings, but somebody's not getting along with somebody else, so they have to sit far apart. And then, of course, Thanksgiving, as you might expect, is always a, a little bit of a work day for Pastor Jess and me, because we're always the ones that are looked to for giving the grace, right? Because nobody, now that we're pastors, nobody else in our family can do the grace. But it's a reminder, each and every holiday, as we gather with family and friends, to expect the unexpected. Christ the King Sunday. Christ the King Sunday. These readings for today. Christ the King Sunday is a relatively new festival. It's uh, not one that we think of often when we think of the church year. Everybody thinks of Christmas and Easter, and maybe you think of Pentecost or Reformation Sunday, but very rarely do we consider Christ the King Sunday. It's a transition Sunday. It's the last Sunday of the season after Pentecost, and it's right before we get into Advent. And these readings for today are to make, can help us consider Christ as king, king of our lives, king of the church. But if I asked you to come up with a Bible text or a gospel text to talk about Jesus' reign, to talk about Jesus being king, I'm not exactly sure that the crucifixion scene from Luke is the one that we would pick, right? Because as we think about even the ancient Israelites and what they expected out of a king, right? Think about kings and queens and, you know, mythology. Think of them in children's stories, Disney movies, right? Think of them in England today. Think of what the people in the first century would have expected. Someone powerful. Someone who had an army. Somebody who could defeat the enemies of the kingdom, Right? Someone who came riding in on the white horse and was going to save everybody through their power and brute strength. And then we, 
Christians proclaim Jesus to be our king. And when we do that, what we're saying is we are going to expect the unexpected, right? Because Jesus is none of those, right? We expect power, authority, and a, the army to come and crush everyone. And instead, what does Jesus say? What does Jesus do? He eats with tax collectors and sinners, right? He gathers people together and encourages them to look out for the poor and the oppressed. The Roman authorities come to arrest him, and he puts out his arms, right? He submits to the empire's execution of criminals by being nailed to a cross. Expect the unexpected. This is not what the people would have expected out of their Messiah. This is not what we would expect of someone that we claim to be our king. And yet Jesus shows on this Sunday, this Christ the King Sunday, that what God has done has taken what the world sees as power and what the world sees as the way of a king and turns it upside down. Right? Expect the unexpected. And Jesus shows through the cross that God has the ultimate power. God has power over death. And then Jesus, submitting to God's will, even as the world looked on and saw death and defeat, Jesus spread his hands on the cross and showed victory for all of us who believe in his power and in his grace. Expect the unexpected, that the king will die. And yet the king, through that death, rises again and gives us eternal life. Christ the King Sunday shows that in our lives of faith, we also must expect the unexpected. On Thanksgiving, as we take a look and step back from our busy lives, everything that's busier and busier and busier, as we take a day that is to be a day that we step back and give thanks for the many blessings, look for those blessings in your life that you don't recognize on a daily basis, but when you take a step back, they're there and make a huge difference in our lives. And give thanks for those. As we join together today, and we do these small acts through the blessing of these blankets through our thank offering, through our thankfulness tree, through the blessing of the blaze orange, right? through our time together at a congregational meeting. Look at these times as opportunities to be in ministry with one another, to celebrate God's grace in this community. As we think about our parish budget, our parish council, to commit to being in ministry with our sister congregations. To commit with your pastors to be in ministry. And for us to commit to you to be in ministry with you. These are opportunities to share God's grace in these two counties. In these communities that we call home. As we go into Advent and to Christmas. Take this time to expect the unexpected. To be a blessing for someone that you didn't expect to be a blessing for, right? Maybe it's through this Advent calendar 
through giving to CAN so that someone has a holiday meal that wasn't expecting to have one at the beginning of the month, or through another way of giving. Right? Take that opportunity to mimic the gift that God gives to us in the baby Jesus by giving that gift freely and abundantly to someone else, thereby showing God's love, that love that we first saw in Jesus. As we look at this text, I think the most important part of this text is the criminal's interaction with Jesus. Because I think in these criminals, you see the two ways that you can look at Jesus on the cross. And yes, it's overgeneralized, right? There's more than two ways. But in general, these criminals show us two ways that we can look at Jesus on the cross. The first says, hey, buddy, if you're the Messiah, which you say you are, then save yourself and us, right? Because he's a criminal. He's always looking out for number one, right? Save yourself and us. But that second criminal on the other side, he looks at the other criminal and says, are you crazy? You and I, we deserve this for what we've done. We deserve to be up here on these crosses, but this fellow in the middle, he's innocent. Right? He's up here unjustly. And then he says that important line to Jesus. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Right? It's one of those verses we sing together on Monday, Thursday, Good Friday as we're getting ready to remember Jesus' death and prepare ourselves for Easter. And then Jesus has that all-important response. Today, right? Today you will be with me in paradise. Now, I don't know about you, but I, all, I use that line often. Especially as I'm comforting folks, folks who are uh, at the funeral home, grieving the death of a loved one, right? We remind ourselves of that promise that Jesus says to all of us, today you will be with me in paradise. But I don't often recount that Jesus says that key line to a justly condemned criminal. to a prisoner of Rome who's about to die next to him on a cross. But that is the power of God. Expect the unexpected. And if Jesus can look at that criminal and say, your sins are forgiven, you will be with me in paradise, think of what he's saying to us. Right? Your sins are forgiven. You are made clean. By the power of God, go. Share in the love and the grace of God. Go from this place and tell everyone what God has done. There's a message that we can share in our communities and around the world when we look at Jesus and His kingdom that is coming. The promise is expect the unexpected. Amen.